everyone knows how to play poker. 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 But do you know how to play poker well? Well, get ready to talk poker strategy with the people who run the games. Hear interviews with the stars. Get information on when to play, where to play, and how to play better poker. 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 This is Poker Action Live, a weekly poker show with your hosts, Big Dave Lemon and Joe Rodriguez. And welcome to the program once again, Poker Action Line, here coming from South Florida. Uh, Big Dave and Joe Rodriguez. Joe's going to be on by phone tonight, uh, and we will have a, another good show for you as we talk about the latest in the world of poker. Uh, a lot of things happening out there, a lot of legal stuff, a lot of uh, acquisitions by certain companies of different casinos, a lot of stuff going on there. And uh, we'll have a couple of discussions. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about tonight about uh, how Joe, as a floor man, deals with final table chops, whether you should or should not do it, uh, how the dealer looks at it. Uh, Joe has the experience from that side of the table, obviously, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, we will get into that later in the program. Also, uh, talk about some of the latest results. The big tournament going on right now is over in Barcelona, the European Poker Tour EPT Barcelona main event. Uh, is in day two, and they set a record attendance uh, going into day two. Today they had uh, 1,960 players. So uh, busy uh, day one B of uh, over 1,200 has given them a huge number, and they are playing along right there. A lot of big-name players from the United States are playing there. Most of the big big names from uh, Europe uh, are ones that we see there, but players like uh, Shannon Shore doing very well, Alex Foxen, Patrick Antonius, um, Martin Jacobson, former uh, World Series of Poker main event champion, Mustafa Kanit, and Andrea Kari are all doing very well, making it into day two. Uh, also, uh, one of the players that did not make it was uh, the player Ramon Kalias, who won the... Uh, Poker Stars Championship down in the Bahamas last year. There's news about th- that tournament, uh, which will be played next August. Uh, they played it in January this year, but they are moving it back to August next year. And there were some big announcements today about the dates and uh, how they will be giving away those platinum passes. Uh, a truly successful event down there in the Bahamas this year. And uh, I guess they need a little more time and wanted to change uh, the direction of it, uh, get it, move it away from the PCA, which it uh, kind of piggybacked on last year. But they will try to uh, move it later in the year, and we'll see what happens next August with that one. Uh, also, uh, some other stuff uh, going on. Uh, if we get a chance, an uh, interesting article about a, uh artificial intelligence computer named Pluribus that uh, was taking on some players and uh, an interesting hand in how the computer played it. Uh, We'll see if we can get into that maybe a little bit later on. We'll see if we have time. But uh, a lot of stuff, as always, going on in the world of poker. And uh, news coming out of the uh, WSOP circuit, uh, which was in Foxwoods this past week, uh, one by uh, Andrew Carey the name of the player that won this tournament, but uh, finishing second was uh, Maurice Hawkins, our friend Maurice Hawkins uh, from Coral Springs, who uh, won 88000 but almost 
won his 15th circuit ring, which is pretty unbelievable. It's Justin Carey. I think I had his name as Andrew, but it's Justin Carey. He's from Somerville, Massachusetts, and he wins 143000 at Foxwood. So uh, that tournament is completed, and the circuit moves on. We'll also be keeping an eye on the WPT, which is headed to Los Angeles in the Bicycle Casino for the Legends of Poker. Uh, a lot of inter- interesting stuff going on in the worlds of poker. Uh, let's bring Joe in. Uh, the first thing I wanted to mention, Joe, this is kind of on a personal level for me, is uh, the Hooters Casino in Las Vegas was sold. Really? I don't know if you ever were out now? there. What's that? Uh, no. I have not been, I've been. I have been obviously in Vegas, but not at the Hooters Hotel. Well, not a huge reputation of being a big place, but uh, uh, kind of uh, for people looking for a little bit of value and uh, a little bit lower price. They did have a poker room there, but uh, things have come and gone. But they sold the company to uh, an Indian company named Oyo, O-Y-O, and the company owned by uh, a guy who started in 2013 at the age of 17, and they have now amassed uh, 112 hotels in the United States. Uh, wow! Back, back in June, when they announced they would invest 300 million in the U.S., they had 50. So they've gone from, in like three months, they've gone from 50 hotels in the U.S. to 112. So we'll see what happens. How many of them? How many of them are casino hotels? Uh, I believe they all are, if I'm not mistaken, but I could be I could be wrong. But that's wow, located wow. That's, uh, that's down impressive. in the south end. It's just off the strip down there by the uh, Mandalay Bay and that area, MGM, and that area of uh, the strip. But uh, personally, I had some relationships with uh, some good high school friends that were involved with Hooters. Started with that company when they started up in 1983 with the very first restaurant in Clearwater, Florida, uh, from my hometown. And uh, so it was. I was very excited when they first bought the casino out there and turned it into the Hooters Casino. But I guess it's been kind of a struggle there over the years. I don't know. What was your rep- reputation out there when you had heard about it? About uh, Hooters? Yeah. Actually, as far as a hotel, not a whole lot. You know, uh, <laughs> business-wise, I've always heard they were very good and people loved their wings everything else, but from a uh, casino standpoint, and and didn't really not, nothing really ever stood out about them as far as people discussing them or anything, Dave. Well, I think they need to find out uh, what the recipe is for that Popeye's chicken sandwich and uh, pick that baby up. So, <laughs> anyway, uh, they are going to put $20 million into this uh, hotel out there in the Vegas property and uh, uh, up-and-coming company from India called uh, Oyo Hotels and Homes. So uh, anyway, that's just kind of a personal note. The other uh, big news uh, was Phil Ivey. And I mentioned this to you before the show, but... Uh, we know that Ivy was uh, pursued by the Borgata for quite some time. Of course, the lawsuit that he lost and owes $10 million to pay back the Borgata Casino for uh, charges that he and one of the Baccarat dealers combined to do some edge sorting and won like $9.6 million because he knew what the cards were. And uh, they had filed suit against him and uh, asked for about $15 million. But actually, 
the court ordered Ivy to pay $10.1 million back to the casino, including uh, wow. a half a million dollars that he won at the craps table. I don't know what that has to do with anything. but uh, So they've been chasing him, and they haven't had any opportunity to get it. Of course, uh, Phil got away from poker in that interim period that there was the big problems with full tilt and uh, this uh, personal problems for some for him with a couple of casinos. There was one in uh, England, too, that he got in trouble with. Yeah. But uh, he beat the Borgata out of $9.6 million in that Baccarat session. That was one session, a high-stakes session back in 2012. Finally, the casino realized what was happening, uh, and they went after him for the money. Now, they tried to go. He he's obviously lives in New Jersey, and the casino searched all his accounts and got uh, the U.S. Marshals involved. And they said the only thing I could find was a Wells Fargo account in Ivy's name that was empty. So he had transferred his winnings to a Mexican bank account. So back in October, New Jersey uh, filed a motion to go after his assets outside of New Jersey, and the court agreed. Federal judge allowed the Borgata to track down Ivy's assets in Nevada. So back at uh, the World Series of Poker a couple of months ago, Ivy played, I think, in 10... I don't know, 10 events or something like that. But the big one was the 50,000 Poker Players Championship in which he finished 8th and won 124,000. Well, the uh, Borgata lawyers uh, contacted uh, the World Series of Poker and wanted to withhold his winnings. And finally, this week, they got their money, $124,000, which is just a drop in the bucket of what they owe him. But my question to you really is not that, you know, there's something wrong with cheating or, uh, you know, whatever. But his reputation has obviously been destroyed. He was one of the greats of the game. And I wondered what you thought about it, whether you liked him at one point and now uh, don't trust him or what. What is your thoughts? Well, you know, he's had a story, you know, uh, history, Dave. I mean, you know, remember... um, Damn, I can't remember his his fake ID name that everyone calls him by when he walks. Well, I'm sure he doesn't walk into Atlantic City casinos anymore <laughs> with this judgment against him. <clears throat> but I remember, you know, that, uh, I don't know if you remember, but it was funny because speaking of the Borgata, back in 2004, I believe uh, Negrano won that when I was happy to be at the Borgata. Um, as a representative of a online site that I was working with back then. And I happened to be playing poker in their room, and Phil Ivey walked in, and I hear people calling him by a different name. I go, that's not so-and-so, that's Phil Ivey. And the guy next to me goes, no, he goes, that was the name he used. You know, that was on his fake ID. Was he underage? Yeah, he was underage for many years. Uh, He started playing, like, at 16. So when he legally turned... Uh, 21, you know, he went up to the manager, apologized, and, you know, handed him the ID that he had been using, supposedly, is how I heard the story, and said to him, listen, you know, my real name is Phil Ivey, and blah, 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 and, you know, apparently, he was a nice enough guy, and didn't catch any trouble for it, and, you know, quote, the legend began. You know, and, um, you know, if it's wrong, I hope one of our listeners lets me know. But this is what I was told by someone that I trust very much. And uh, so, 
you know, he, he went on to become the Sylvie that we all know. Now, you know, it's funny because we discussed a while back just cheating with uh, the Borgata, which supposedly some of the cards were uh, improperly marked, and he was he or his partner, whoever whoever his partner was, actually the Baccarat dealer. Excuse me, his partner was what was was, was the Baccarat dealer at that table? So they were working together on it. <clears throat> Uh, his okay. name is uh, Kelly Kelly Cheng Yin Sun. Okay. Now, what I don't understand is they said they said the cards were marked because it was similar scenario in, in in England too, right? Wasn't it that yeah? You know, they said he had an advantage because he knew the cards were manufactured wrong and there was something to it. There was defects now, on on the back of the cards, so he was able to gain the edge there, and uh, obviously. Uh, working with this dealer had the had the proper uh, decks in that uh, helped him uh, get a good good view of uh, the back of the cards. Well, you know, but in Bancard, they're coming out of that shoe, so those cards had to be marked right in the center on, on either side because you, know, you only get to see a certain portion of that card yeah. coming out. Well, I think it is on the side. So, it's on the edge. Right. So, you know, again, you know... <laughs> As a gambler, kudos to him that he was able to figure that out, or the or the dealer was able to figure that out and was able to tell, you know, what was coming out. And and again, I think the only advantage, but this will give you an idea, the only advantage you can have, especially in baccarat, is if you know what, you know, that first card is coming out. You don't know what the second card is going to be, but obviously, if you know that it's a nine or an eight, uh, you know, you 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 wager a hell of a lot more on player being that the first card is for the player. Right. And you're not paying the commission on it too. So, but listen, this is now his second casino, obviously after England, because the casino in England, now the Borgata, then he got caught up in the full tilt uh, scenario where, you know, he fought it, he, he, he countersued, you know, and much of the thing from full tilt did not did not hang on to him, but as you said earlier, uh, you know, eventually too many bad things are, are are happening around Phil Ivy, and you know, sooner or later, you know, the common denominator is going to be Phil Ivy, right? And uh, and shit happening. Excuse my language, but you know, this is this is what's going on, and I don't know, I. I He's definitely lost a lot of the luster, and and I would imagine, Dave. I think Phil Ivey and Daniel Negreanu were looked upon as, you know, two of the most popular. Exactly, you know, uh, Daniel obviously his personality was, you know, a little more out there, and and you know, enjoyed that. But Phil Ivey's style of play and everything else you know, made him a fan favorite, at least, you know, in my opinion. I always enjoyed watching him play. And he's, and he still uh, has plenty of fans. I mean, he had that one couple that would always follow him around and, uh, you know, uh, cheer for Ivy. And he had a lot of fans on his rail, no question about it. And that's that's the sad thing for the world of poker is that those people still love Ivy. They would like to see him play. But what are the chances of him playing in any tournaments in the United States going forward? I 
I would say uh, slim and none, you know. Certainly uh, won't play in the WSOP again. Now, now that he knows, now that he knows that any winnings that he has are going to be varnished for this, I seriously doubt that we will see him. Yeah. You know, unless some sort of deal is worked out, some backdoor deal, you know. Right. And uh, <laughs> I, I mean, if I was him, and I got my money put aside, there's no way you're seeing me play there. I mean. From what I understand, has it even played, you know, in uh, in Macau and in the uh, Arena in know, Macau? Yeah, and a lot of like European tournaments there. and stuff like that. So, so I guess that's where he'll be the rest of his life. I don't, I don't see him doing much over here in the United States anymore, unless he's coming back to see family or friends. Yeah, right. But I seriously doubt he's going to jump into it's a any casino. It's a shame. Uh, he was very popular and made a lot of money. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, like a lot of people do, the greed, and he uh, basically pissed it all away. It's kind of sad. Well, and listen, you know, one of the things, you know, we, we found it to be, you know, oh, look how cute, and, and, and even though it was a lot of money. But one of the stories of Phil Ivey that came back to mind right now as we were talking you know, besides him playing underage, was you remember he had that huge bet that he lost in the Super Bowl, Dave? Do you remember I that? I don't recall you that. You remember? No. He had he had a huge bet, and I'm trying to remember whether it was half a million, a million that they printed in the newspaper uh, at the time. And you remember that famous play with Arizona against Pittsburgh, and I believe it was James Harrison or J- uh, that. James intercepted the ball at the end of the first half. That was the only way he could lose the bet because at that point, either Arizona, he had Arizona for the half, supposedly. So if they scored, you know, they yeah. obviously took the lead. Yeah, and Arizona was, in, was, in, was inside the five-yard line, and he, he ran it back exactly. uh, the entire they were ready. length they, of the field. They were, exactly. They were ready to score. I mean, the only thing that could not happen was a turnover that – Pittsburgh turned into a touchdown, and, you know, as we all know, he he rumbled into the end zone, barely getting in, you know, and, and and you know, people found out about the wager, and that's how we found out, you know, that it was, uh, you know, they printed about how Phil Ivey, big uh, poker player, loses, you know, wow. half a million or a million, whatever the dollar amount was, you know, on that interception. Well, so that kind of just added to his... To, to, to his, his legend, uh, you know, his, his negative legend. Play. Well, what can you do? Karma's a bitch. Uh, what goes around comes around. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's take let's take our first break on the show. When we come back, a couple things to talk about the uh, the PC PSPC uh, news of the 2020 tournament coming out and the Platinum Pass promotion that will begin once again. Huge success, and they'll be doing that again. Talk about that when we come back. You're listening to Poker Action Line, Big Dave and Joe, and we'll be back after these messages. This is Poker Action Line. This is Big Dave for PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. Want to know what's really cool? Your charitable tax-deductible donation every time you play. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com, the feel-good gateway to fun and prizes. Play free. Learn our system. Get 50,000 free chips and play for prizes. Play for scholarships that benefit Caribbean students. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. Take it from Big Dave. A win for you is a donation to Caribbean education. PlaceYourChipsCaribbean.com. 
Ranger Station, Ranger speaking. Yeah, hi. I'd like to report a bear sighting. Location? My backyard. Oh, your backyard. Try telling a bear that. I did, and this bear talked back. Talking bear, that's rich. No, wait, it was Smokey Bear. Smokey? Why didn't you say so? I did say so. Continue. I was burning yard waste. No, boy. He told me to burn legally and responsibly, and to remember that if it's too hot to touch, it's too hot to leave. And as always, he's right. You know, 9 out of 10 wildfires are caused by humans. That means 9 out of 10 wildfires can be prevented. Yeah, I know that now. Thanks to me. Actually, thanks to Smokey. As usual, the talking bear gets all the credit. Get your Smokey on. Always burn responsibly and contact your local fire department for open burning regulations. Because 9 out of 10 wildfires can be prevented. Brought to you by Smokey Bear, the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Only you can prevent wildfire. Android and iPhone users, download the WFO Radio app. It's sports radio for racing fans. Thank you, I appreciate it. The ultimate, the ultimate racing, racing show, show, including WFO Radio NHRA Nitro, WFO Radio Ignition, the WFO Radio NASCAR tailgate party, news, videos, push notifications, and more. I just hope I'm part of it. Go to the App Store or Android Market, search WFO Radio, and download it now. Now. One of the true uh, success stories of last year was uh, in January at the in the Bahamas when they had the Poker Stars Players Championship and uh, they had given away about 320 uh, platinum passes worth 30,000 each, $25,000 buy-in for that event and $5,000 in uh, expenses to cover travel and that sort of thing. Uh, one of our friends uh, in some of the local tournaments from South Florida, uh, Carlo Rodriguez, no uh, relation to Joe, but uh, Carlo won one at the Seminole Hard Rock and had a great time out there. We talked about it on the show. Uh, eventually, uh, Ramon Calillas from Spain won $5. million in the tournament back in January. So we've been waiting for news on uh, when it was going to come again. Well, they moved it to uh, August, August 20th. Through the 24th, not this year, next year in 2020. So it's going to be about 18 months in between the two events. But uh, some big announcements at the uh, Barcelona tour event for the EPT on uh, what they would do. And Joe, they had a pretty interesting uh, competition uh, called Chase Your Dream, Play Against Your Heroes. And it, you can just imagine what it would be like to uh, play like that. But uh, through a series of online free rolls, and some audition videos that the players sent in explaining why they should win. Uh, they selected five finalists, two from uh, PokerStars.com, two from PokerStars Spain, and two f- and one from PokerStars France. So the five players oh. all took their seats uh, in Barcelona, and what they did was they had each player play 25 hands against a group of celebrities. Uh, Lex Veldhaus, Patrick Antonius... The uh, UFC announcer, Bruce Buffer, the soccer star, Gerard Piquet, and uh, poker player, uh, Fatima Marrera de Mello, along with Chris Moneymaker. So they played the hands, and the two players who accumulated the most chips in, those t- in their time in the felt would go to a final heads-up match and play for a prize of 10,000 euros, uh, winner-take-all. Pretty cool idea, huh? I thought so. Yeah, that sounds nice playing against some of these people, and uh, and then 
trying getting a chance to win about ten thousand euro and possibly what about twelve thirteen thousand U.S. Yeah, absolutely. So the winners, the two winners that went head to head, were a thirty-six uh, uh, year old from France and a twenty-three year old uh, engineering student uh, from Spain. So they went in. They they had earned the most money among the five players against these uh, celebrities and uh, sat down and played head-to-head. And uh, the one player, Aloy, uh, Clement Aloy, was the winner. And uh, he went, so, uh, I'm sorry, Uh, he went down head-to-head. The other player was named Vinuela. And uh, the the 23-year-old from Spain was was the loser. And uh, so Aloy, so then they announced that they brought all uh, the other finalists, the other three finalists, along with those two guys up on stage, and they gave them all platinum passes. Oh, nice. So it's pretty cool, $30,000 prize, and they'll all be back next August. So uh, a great promotion, and uh, says a lot about uh, promoting your product and doing it a year ahead of time. Now over the next year, uh, Money Maker will have his little tournaments all over the U.S. and some of these other uh, people that are tied in with Poker Stars will do that as well, and they'll give away another probably 300 passes. And uh, they have stuff online, and and uh, then this will build excitement to next August. So what I'm wondering is that falls right around the time that uh, Seminole Hard Rock has their big Seminole Hard Rock Poker Open. So I wonder if there's going to be a conflict there. Maybe that will be done in time. Uh, before people head over there, but we'll see. Now, so they're changing that the the the, the PCA. Uh, PCA is something um, is separate. They just kind of piggybacked on the PCA. So the PCA will still be in January at the Bahamas, but this tournament, in in fact, it's not in the Bahamas. It's going to be in uh, in Spain, which is the home casino of uh, the player who won the title last year. So. I think it uh, is. Uh, oh, Barcelona. I thought it was. I thought it was tied in with the with the PCA. So, all right. So the PCA will be running in January. This is just this is something separate. This will run it. Yeah. Oh, okay. They did the first year having it. They tied it in with the PCA so they could uh, have a lot of players playing there, and uh, it will be interesting. So, uh, next year's uh, Barcelona Festival will will be the involved with it, but uh, the the PSPC, as they call it, will be played next year in August. Right. Pretty cool. Well, hey, yes, it is. I think, that, and I love that. You know, that what was it called again? The Golden, uh, the Platinum Pass. Pla- excuse me, Platinum Pass. Excuse me, Platinum Pass. That's a great idea. Whoever came up with that? And, yeah, for sure. Uh, I think going forward, they're gonna. People are going to get really excited, and this concept that they did in Barcelona was really cool, as you said. So, yeah, I remember the times we had talked with Jason about it. I think he won a big tournament over there one year, and uh, players always, uh, you know, one of the big European tournaments. Uh, it's a city that I've never been to, but would like to visit. Uh, not far from the Basque region of Spain, uh, where Haile is played, and uh, it's always been a place that I'd love to go to. But uh, I don't know if I'll ever get there. Oh, Dave! Yes, I'm sure we can. We can find a way to get you there, Dave. We'll find a way to get you there, buddy. Uh, <laughs> okay. Anyway, I want to talk about this other thing, which was the chops. Uh, pretty interesting uh, discussion. 
There's a real cool article if you want the complete uh, rundown. And there's a few things I learned today. Uh, you know, making a deal at the final table is nothing new. And a lot of times people don't really think about it scientifically. You just kind of get a feel if uh, you're better than the players that are left at the table, whether it's uh, two or three players or if it's an entire table. Seems to be a lot more chops these days. How about, what do you think? Well, first of all, you know, as a folk room manager, I love the fact that, you know, that they do chops in the tournaments that I've held. Um, and I also love the fact that they don't allow chops, um, at least not public chops, uh, when you're playing WPT. for a bracelet, you know. Yeah, the you have the prestige of playing for a bracelet or, or a, a ring. Uh, I honestly believe somebody should win it. Now, you know, we do know that some people go off the table and make their own side deals, and, you know, it's a gentleman's handshake agreement. You know, there's nothing is, nothing is put to paper because when a chop is made, they've at least, the way I've handled it all the time uh, in tournaments that I have run, you know, let's assume there's four players or five players, whatever the number is of players that are left, and they're discussing a chop. Usually they'll ask the chip count chop, and then they will negotiate amongst themselves. Once once I hear that everybody has agreed to it, I step in and I tell them, okay, I'm going to ask each and every individual player, you know, uh, do you agree to this chop? And whatever position you're in for this amount of money. I'm usually given figures for first, some most of the times in these chops, Dave, it's, uh, um, you know, okay, first two places, the two highest chip counts usually are getting the same amount of money, and then the rest are splitting up an equal amount. The other three, let's say, uh, these are the types of chops that are worked out. And um, I'll ask each one individually, do you accept this? Do you accept this? And I need to get a yes from everybody. And at that point, tournament is over. And, you know, we proceed with the procedure that, uh, you know, the, the paperwork that has to be signed and, and everything else, and money is out. As a as a manager, Dave, I prefer this because it ends it quickly. Now, if it has built up excitement in the room and there's a lot of players there because of it, sometimes I don't mind it going on a little bit longer because it just creates a, a certain amount of excitement. But I have been involved in a three-handed uh, poker tournament, uh, when I gave out a guaranteed $50,000, um, where three-handed, they played for over six hours before they agreed to an equal chop. Every time they would talk and deal, one person had a lot more chips than the other, and no one would take a deal. Finally, they all got to within a couple of thousand of each other, and they split it up three ways after six hours of playing three-handed. So, yeah, at that moment, I was going crazy for a deal to be made, and it just couldn't get done. Sometimes deals are made as soon as one particular person. I believe you, you told us a bad story once when you were playing in a tournament that as soon as you were eliminated, they made a deal right afterwards. Yeah, I think I was one of 11 players left, and I had the short stag. I was trying to hang on as long as possible. But the second I got eliminated, the other 10 people chopped. That was my exactly. old, that was as close as I got to being involved in a chop and probably maybe the last time, who knows. But uh So you've never you've never seen how it was? I tell well, you what, it's very interesting. Uh when I was playing online, you know, obviously before 
you know, Black Friday and everything else. Um, I remember the first time we made a deal, there was a button that you could push that you were willing to do a chop. And as the final table started, it was pretty cool. I believe this was on uh, Poker Stars. And, uh, you know, I clicked. Listen, I was always one for making a deal, you know, because um, I saw where I was at. And you can negotiate this. There are two, like you said, there are the chip count or players themselves. Once everybody has, has clicked on that, at least at that time, Dave, the, the clock would stop. And all of a sudden we were chatting amongst ourselves along with whoever uh, was representing the, you know, the, the table, the, the tournament director, whatever. So deals were made and then all of a sudden a number would be put up and everybody had to say yes or no. And, and if one player it, says no, then you got to keep playing. Right. You keep playing or you keep negotiating. And, you know, it, it comes a point where, you know, the uh, the director says, all right, listen, uh, we'll continue. And after another person or two is eliminated, you can hit the button to to negotiate again. And I remember the first time that I did that and I did a chop, you know, the... <laughs> The guy, they offered a certain amount on the chip stack, on the chip count, and I told them the guy, the guy immediately said yes, and I said no, and the guy goes, what do you mean no? And I go, what do you mean? I go, this is how much I want. I go, cause right now, all I gotta do is double up once through you, we were heads up. I said, all I gotta do is double up once through you, and then you're gonna be, you know, extremely short stack. Yeah, you got me now. But he was going to get the lion's share, and I said, "For this, I'll play. All I got to do is double up once, and then I'm the favorite to to win the big mount." So apparently, he saw the uh, the value in my in in my argument, and uh, we worked out, you know, what I thought was a good deal for me, and we both accepted it. And the tournament ends at that moment. Well, I've seen players chop uh, when they had more chips than their opponent. Basically wanted to chop because they felt like the player they were going against was a better player than them and they didn't want to give up the the prize money that they would take and, and were taken but let me ask you this is uh from what you have seen is it is it more because it just seems like there's no end of the site to the tournament players are tired they've been playing a long time and it's just easier to get it done with is that the reason for the chops or is it more uh you know, the ability of the other players at the table and uh, the, the fear that you might lose out on some cash? The the proper answer to that question is yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Both. It's both of those big things. Yeah. It's both of those. And, what, um, and when you, for instance, if you're the tournament director, like you you run a room and you're having a tournament at your room, uh, there's lots of reasons that you hope you get done. Your employees want to go home. You want to go home, maybe. Uh, so are you thrilled when you hear they're, they want to discuss a job? Or is it like, oh, now i got to count this up. This is kind of a pain in the butt. No, 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 no. I mean, you know, it's just, listen, you're happy. You're happy to get this done. Uh, you know, you just want everybody to kind of be happy about the scenario that they're in. You know, and that they accept it because you've got scenarios where people are like, hey, you know, I don't think that's fair, this, that, and the other. So, you know, you just want to make sure everybody feels that that everything is fair. And it's hard because if you do have one player there 
who is head and shoulders above anybody else, they they usually want, don't want, they want to keep they want to keep going. Are you are you talking into your phone? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, that's that's better. <laughs> okay. So you know that's the scenario. That's where you get the big problem. You know where you where you got people who honestly believe they are, you know, that much better than their opponent, and you know don't want to make any kind of a deal. They 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 put a. They're like I don't want to make any deals unless something outrageous. You understand? Yeah. Is offered to them, which at that point they're willing to take it. But um, I'll give you an example using the PPC, um, you know, the disgraced poker tournament place. The year prior to that big day, you know, they had that the guy from, um, I can't remember his name. I hope that you have it there. But um, the kid, that kid that came in from Foxwoods, that he, uh, he won the entry late. And when they were three-handed, he wanted to make a deal as the chip leader. And the other two guys considered themselves to be, you know, professional players, and he was the, quote, amateur. And they both refused. And he wound up beating both of them and, you know, taking first place money, you know. So, again, there's there's so many different scenarios to a chop as to why you would do it. Most cases that I've seen, like a big multi-table chop, is because for the most part they're tired, and second, none of them feel that they are that superior to everybody else. Yeah, so, I, I think know. if it were me, I would be, you know, pretty not only worn out, but kind of like uh, not bored, but uh, maybe just worn out from the from the uh, stress of the play. So. I would almost want to take a deal, even if I took a little bit less, just to uh, to prevent myself from losing a big chunk of change. Well, let me tell you, it's funny that you mentioned deals. You know, uh, I, I believe I've mentioned it before on the show many years ago, but I remember the first legitimate tournament, you know, that I entered in was one where I was dealing on a ship, and that particular day, they asked us if one of us, you know, if we wanted to play in the tournament as opposed to dealing. And I decided to take my chances, and it was a seven-card stud tournament. And they were only paying top three. And the prize amount was really good. And I remember I went very short stack to work that day. As a matter of fact, if I didn't make the money, I came home with absolutely nothing in my pocket. And I struggled when we were four-handed. I just wanted to get into the money because I knew I'd make money. And sure enough, that occurred. And at that point, I happened to be the person who eliminated the fourth place player. And I had, I was in second place in chips, Dave. And this is, again, another strange scenario. I looked at the money. It was extremely top heavy. First place was going to get like whatever it was, something around $1,400, $1,500. Second place was going to get somewhere around $800. And third place was only going to get like two and change, like 280 290 So I proposed. Hey, I'm I'm willing to split this three ways if everybody else is. And uh, there was a young man, younger than I was, a lot younger than I was at that time. And third, he had the short, very short stack, and a and a very nice lady had the lead. I thought she would disagree to it and would ask for more money because she had me two to one. She immediately said, "Yeah, that's fine with me. I thought we had a deal." <laughs> 
And the young man said, no, I came here to win. So no deal. Right. Luckily, a few hands later, we were able to eliminate him, at which point I actually had the chip lead over the, over the, the dealer, uh, I mean over the, the, uh, the other player, and I told her, I said, listen, I was willing to split it when you had the lead. I'm willing to do it now. She says, yep. We walk, each walked away with somewhere around uh, $1,200. And uh, the only thing I remember from that big day was it was the inaugural tournament on this ship, and my boss came over to congratulate me and then whispered in my ear, lose, lose the heads-up match just so that that person gets awarded first place and gets the trophy instead of a dealer from the ship. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's great. So, so, so there's... I just remember looking at my cards and going, what do you got? Oh, you win, and I threw my cards away really quick. <laughs> well, there's two major types of chops. Uh, basically, you have the equal chop or maybe some sort of variation of that. A lot of times, uh, players will take an equal chop and then and then leave a little bit on the table to play for the rest of it or play for a trophy. So that does happen. But uh, there's also the ICM, which is the uh, independent chip model. Uh, and uh, a variation of that called the chip chop. Chip chop is basically just splitting the chips up by number of chips that you have and the percentage of what's in the pool. Uh, there's some other mathematical things in the ICM that's involved that involves, uh, you know, considering the player's chances of uh, finishing in one of the remaining positions and moving up. So there's some mathematical formulas involved with that that we won't get into. But uh, what have you dealt with mostly over the years? I think most people realizing uh, they're giving up money if they don't have, uh, you know, base the chop on, on how many chips they have. Right. Well, like, again, it, Dave, it's, this is like, you know, it takes a life of its own, you know, because of how good the players are or aren't, uh, how long they've been going, much like you've said. But, you know, um and the prize amount, you know, because if it's that top heavy, you know, the person, believe it or not, the bargaining power lays, uh, lies with, excuse me, with the shortest stack. Because at that point, if you don't offer them a good enough deal, there's no reason for them to take, to take a deal. You know, it's, 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 you have a better chance of, you know, sowing your money, going all in every hand, seeing if you get lucky to double up. Because, again, a scenario where I think I mentioned to you off air uh, before we started, you know, where third place is going to get $400 and the chop deal says 450 or $500 and the next jump is to nine, I'm willing to take my chances unless you give me a much better deal, say somewhere in the $700 range to, to take, you know, to end the tournament at that point. So the bargaining power, in my opinion, lays with the with the shorter stack because you know i need i need a little bit more significant dollars which gives me a lot more value at that point as opposed to the chips and the standing that i'm in right exactly well it's interesting and uh, something to think about uh don't short uh short sell yourself uh, that you can't beat another player but uh sometimes it's the right play depending on how you feel so uh, certainly that's uh, a lot of things to take into consideration. Well, let me tell you, Dave, I mean, if you're offered a deal, all right, that uh, dollar-wise is, is, you know, giving you so much more advantage as far as 
taking the deal, yeah, you're going to take it, you know. Um, uh, if I'm only, you know, a double up and a half away from, you know, catching or bypassing or putting putting my opponent on on you know the opposite side of you know of the of the percentages that we're at now i try to hold out for a better deal but if i'm at that point and that and that particular player offers me a deal that comes close to us being you know paid equal and i'm at a disadvantage well then obviously it's it, it to me it's in my favor to take that deal um you know, based on me, my you know, Joe Rodriguez taking that deal because one, I I don't mind having deals done. We know other people, uh, our friend uh, Will, who says the only time he makes deals is if he's guaranteed first place and takes the trophy because he wants the trophy. You know, there's a lot of dynamics to these deals that that will get them done or or not done. Right. Well, it's interesting. It really is. Um... We need to take one more break on the show. Let's do that, and we'll come back with a final segment. Uh, the Hard Rock in Las Vegas was sold uh, recently to Virgin Hotels, and they will be undergoing a re- uh, renovation and will be closing uh, in February for about uh, anywhere from six to nine months. Uh, I want to talk with Joe about how he handles something like that, uh, renovation, and how he handles his employees. So we'll talk about that when we close things out when we come back. You're listening to Poker Action Line, Big Dave and Joe, and we'll finish things up when we return. This is Poker Action Line. Hi, this is Big Dave from PokerActionLineRadio.com. I want to let all avid poker players know about a great new lottery game that was developed by one of our sponsors, Atlantic West Management Group. This game is now available worldwide on the Internet and will be served as Place Your Chips Caribbean and operated on the Internet as an international lottery by Atlantic West. The Texas Hold'em poker-like game is perfectly legal everywhere and presented as a lottery game with tickets available on the Internet. You can win pick six lottery tickets and cash prizes by using your poker playing skills. It's open to lottery players worldwide, and right now this game is in a play-for-free test mode, and you are not obligated to purchase anything. You can get 50,000 free play chips per ticket for the purpose of evaluating the game with no prizes awarded until the game goes live. A lottery customer could purchase a ticket with a unique number that will grant them entry into one of many Texas Hold'em poker tables with a chip stack and like a lottery game, the prize value will be based on ticket sales. That chip stack will be valid for the remainder of the week as players can access the site as often as they like to try and take the chip lead. At the end of the week, the highest chip stacks will be awarded lottery prizes, and if you lose all your chips, the lottery ticket becomes null and void. As with regular lottery games, you can purchase as many entries as you like. However, each ticket stands on its own merit, and much like the regular lottery, the results of multiple tickets cannot be combined toward a prize. The name of this game is Place Your Chips Caribbean. You can access a live demonstration of the game right now at www.placeyourchipscaribbean.com. We believe that when it goes live soon, there will be a heavy demand for this game, as most lottery players would much rather have some say in the outcome of their lottery result. Their odds of winning are greatly improved if they're able to utilize their playing skills in order to increase their chances of winning. I hope that you will try the Play for Free demonstration and hope that you will join us when the Play for Real game becomes available. Final segment as we close things out on another edition of Poker Action Line. Uh, the end of day two over in Barcelona. Uh, Shannon Shore is in the top ten. Uh, the chip leader is uh, S- uh, Simon Matson, and uh, he's followed closely by Alexis Ibarola and Andres Korn. 
over in Spain. Uh, and a couple of other names uh, near the top of the list, uh, Zen Kai, who uh, obviously was at the final table from Lake Worth uh, at this year's World Series of Poker final table, is up there pretty high in the list. And uh, a lot of the big names from the U.S. are out, so uh, we will keep an eye on that. Uh, Fatima, who I have met before and uh, interviewed here on the show, uh, that I mentioned earlier in the Poker Stars thing, she is the only remaining Poker Stars ambassador left in the tournament. So she's a former field hockey player from Netherlands, and she has 236,000 to her name. But uh, we uh, will keep an eye on that for next week and give you the results. The uh, chip leader has uh, 1.19 million, so uh, she's quite a ways back. Anyway, let's finish things up. Uh, I did want to mention this one story that I noticed today. Uh, you know, places get sold, places are renovated, and Joe has worked as a manager of a poker room. So, uh, Joe, the big thing uh, I wanted to ask was what you do when you know you're going to have a fairly extensive renovation period. Obviously, there's not much you can do with your customers. You'll hope they'll come back when you reopen, that the place is nicer, and when you get the right publicity out, everything will work out. But you have to worry about your employees and how you're going to treat that. And I had an interesting situation at the Hard Rock in Vegas. Uh, first of all, it's got to be kind of horrifying uh, when that happens. It, it It's both horrifying and exciting because you know something new is going to happen. But for your employees, I can only tell you how I handled it when we remodeled, uh, you know, Miami Highline and became Casino Miami. <clears throat> we we needed help in moving stuff, so a lot of a lot of the uh, mail employees hung around. We were able to pay them for a month uh, to help us clear out that big room, as you well know, Dave, in, in the back. Um, after a month, they left uh, my assistant and myself there to do things, of which point, you know, we were, we finished it off in about another month and a half. And then at that point I was told to go on lay, you know, to, to not, um, I was, wasn't laid off. What is it? You go to unemployment and I was on un, unemployment for a couple of months until I was called back a few months before we actually opened the door as we started to prepare the room and get the new tables and everything in there. Um, the way I handled the date was very simple. I told my employees, the ones who could hold out, um, my experienced dealers would come back and they would have preference to schedule uh, shift and schedules that they wanted, you know, due to their loyalty and their years of working with me. Right. And uh, they were very grateful for that. And because of that, I was able to keep almost every single experienced dealer, you know, but I didn't get upset when some of them had to leave me because, you know, they had families, well, they had bills says, to pay. That says something some about you, them. too, as well, you know, uh, what kind of a employer you are, uh, what kind of a boss. Well, let me tell you, I've always tried to put my people first. Um, you know, uh, as I've told everybody, and it's not just in the poker room, Dave, uh, yeah, you've known me now for 20-plus years. I'm grateful that you asked me to do this show with you 10 years ago, almost now. And, um, you know, I, I treat everybody like that that works in the casino. I try to treat everybody with the respect. I haven't always been treated with respect when I was a dealer and coming up. It's just, you know, the nature of this business from many years ago. And, uh, again, you know, my success, you know, 
also depends on other people doing their jobs correctly. And uh, so I've always looked at it as a team effort, Dave. I've I've never, you know, stood put my head above everybody else and say, you know, tell the bosses, look what I've created. Look, you know, look how great this is. This is all, you know, uh, a collective work of, of everybody putting in. Right. Um, you know, and, and one of the greatest things that I had from uh, two, two particular dealers who had come up with two very good promotional ideas that I liked when we had, you know, dealer meetings and everything, and I implemented those ideas, and they, they turned out to be very good ones. And as I was being praised uh, by the owner, at that time, uh, Mr. Mr. Bennett Collette Sr., and you knew him. He goes, wow, this is a great idea, Joe. And I said, well, thank you, sir, but I can't take credit for the idea. Uh, it's that that. Dealer. I told him, I said, yeah. I said, it's that dealer over there. I said, I'll take credit for hiring him, but not for his idea. Well, let me, and, we're, we're, we're running short on time, but let me just, uh, I just wanted to tell you what they're doing out there in Vegas with the Hard Rock. They sold it to uh, Virgin Hotels, and owned by Richard Branson. And uh, they are taking over, and they have remained open since the sale, but they have to do these renovations. Originally, they had claimed it was going to take about four months of uh, phased closing, but they then decided that it's just not efficient for the guests and that sort of thing. So they're going to close February 2020 and expected to reopen no later than the following January, although it could be done by October of 2020. So what I wanted to run by you was they had 1,850 employees in the hotel, and they said that they will not have to interview again for previously held jobs. But here's what they offered, a program called Stick Around and Come Back that includes a lump sum retention bonus. I don't know how much that would be, but uh, certainly some money involved. Up to 10 weeks pay during the interim, and other programs including Wellness workshops, lifelong learning classes, and social mixers. So, what do you think of that? I think it's a great idea to try to keep your staff so you don't have to interview and you know retrain uh, you know 100 percent of of your staff or or even 90 percent of it. Uh, you know, it, it shows something if these people stay there. So. I think it's a great idea, Dave. I don't know. What's your opinion? Yeah, well, I think it's good, too. I don't know about the social mixers and the uh, the life uh, the lifelong learning classes, but, uh, you know, offering them some sort of pay while they're off and a lump sum retention bonus I think is a great idea, so I hope it works out for them. But uh, certainly uh, Virgin Hotels is a yeah. first-class operation, and I'm sure it will be a positive move for a lot of people to stick around. Well, let me tell you, Dave, the life lessons was something that GM made us all go through when they hired us back when I was in my 20s and they were looking to, to reopen their their uh, swing shift um, um, again in, uh, in Tarrytown, New York. They actually put the whole crew of us in a school that was closed at that time and made us take classes that had absolutely nothing to do <laughs> with with car business. But it had to do a lot with life and lessons that, believe me, to this day. And it was positive. To this day, I still remember them. I actually use them with some new employees myself. So, I, cool. you know, well, cool. it, it, you, you laugh at life lessons, but sometimes those life lessons allow you to handle scenarios at work or working and home. You know, well, like I told my employees. It's you just know, probably they, I could we use We all have bad days. 
It just probably I could use a couple of those myself. Listen, we're out of time. <laughs> I'll let you run. Uh, Gio, thank you for all your work on the show as well. Appreciate it. And we'll be back next week with another edition of Poker Action Line. The views and opinions of the hosts, guests, or callers are not necessarily those of the station, its owners, advertisers, or agencies. 